I gotta say what an honor and a privilege it is to uh, be up here this morning on uh, Palm Sunday, uh, the start of the greatest uh, week in all of history, a week that would uh, change history, a week that would change our eternal destiny as Christians, a week that would change uh, uh, from Old Covenant to New Covenant. Um, But I want to take time this morning to honor Pastor uh, Justin, and if y'all would continue to keep him in his prayers, we're so encouraged that uh, his uh, Ron, Pastor Ron Countryman is doing uh, well, and we uh, pray and we thank God uh, that he is uh, the great healer, the great physician, and that he has given us doctors and physicians that operate so well. Um, so I am honored to be up here this morning. I do not take uh, this lightly. I didn't think I'd preach a Palm Sunday service until like I had my own church, if that would ever be, um, which there's no plan for that to be at the moment. Don't want to scare anyone. Uh, I don't want to scare myself either. So, <laughs> um, The title of my message this morning is The Call of the King. Um, and uh, thinking back to uh, king, the kings of old, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Saul, King David, all these people uh, that had such power and uh, when they spoke, things happened. Um, but then, of course, there is King Jesus, uh, the humble king, the king of all kings, the king above all kings, the Lord of all, the Savior of all. Um, he um, starts this week and of the greatest week of all of history. He will, in, he will appear publicly. Uh, Christ, the spotless, sinless Son of God, that is God in the flesh, will enter the city of Jerusalem uh, the crowd will praise him today and call for his crucifixion on Friday. They, he will appear publicly several times. He will have the Passover with his disciples. He will be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver. He will be accused falsely, spat on, beat, whipped, have skin and muscle torn from his body, have chunks of his beard ripped out, nailed to a cross, die and be resurrected and is today at the right hand of the throne of God so that we could have relationship with God so that we might have eternal life so that we may receive the righteousness of God that is not our own that he took on our sin and death that we may take up on the righteousness that we may be in right standing and right relationship with God now that is a very short very fast summary of the greatest week in all of history um, but I want to start with so let's start with Sunday Palm Sunday. Let's start with Matthew uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Beth Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, and untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once this took place to fulfill the spoke, uh, that was spoken by the prophet say to the daughter of Zion behold your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a beast of burden the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them put their cloaks on him and he sat on them this is the king coming as, as told by uh, the prophet. The king has come. The king has come to 
uh, Jerusalem. But notice the obedience of everyone in this picture. Christ is being obedient to his Father's will as he knowingly is going to Jerusalem to die on a cross for the sins of humanity. He, he is not sneaking in a side door or in a back door. He enters in the most public way possible. He enters as a king would, a king who has uh, slayed thousands and thousands of men, a king that, that is victorious. He enters the, the city of Jerusalem in the same way as a victorious king, but not on a white horse, not with soldiers holding swords and the heads of their enemies. He enters on a donkey, on a lowly colt that had never uh, been ridden. He is not fearful and he does not hide. And he goes willingly and knowingly into Jerusalem. Uh, the disciples are being obedient to go and get the donkey. And they find it as Jesus said they would. But this has to be like an awkward scene. This donkey, uh, Jesus says, there's a donkey over here at this house. Untie it and bring it to me. And if they ask you why you're taking it, say that the Lord uh, needs it. And I wonder too about the owners. Were they disciples? Were they uh, did they know who Jesus was or were they just simply obedient at the boldness of these uh, two men? But they are obedient to the king because the king sent the disciples and they are they're obedient to Jesus and they give their donkey and the colt. And lastly, the colt is being obedient and following the hand of Jesus and its mother. That in the midst of a loud crowd, there is a colt that has never been ridden. And yet it doesn't get frightened or spooked. The colt, the colt remains calm under the hands of the Messiah and the reassurance of his mother. So I ask uh, today, uh, will you hold back from God what he's asked you uh, to bring to him? Will you bring the Lord what he needs? Will you step fully into the calling that he has uh, for you? Are you holding something back from God? Maybe you think... You're the cult. You're not ready. It's not ready. Maybe, like the cult, it's not, it hasn't been test run. It hasn't been conditioned. It hasn't been properly trained. I haven't done enough. I haven't, it has to be uh, perfect, you may think. And I ask, does it need to be trained or do you need to trust that anything in God's hand will do far better than it would if it remained in your hands? That just as the unwritten cult in the midst of the noisy crowd stayed completely calm in the hands of God, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, the things that God has given all of us are far better in the hands and will do far more and reach far more people in the hands of God than in the hands of any person. I can kind of, I always go back to Peter. What was Peter's mindset in all of this? I imagine Peter panicking. I imagine Peter thinking, this colt has not been ridden. Lord, let me ride the colt down the hill the Mount of Olives so that it can be trained. Let us train it first. Lord, are you sure you don't want to ride the donkey? Ride the, on the mother. It's trained. It's well fit. It, it, it can be trusted. And yet Jesus gets on the colt because anything in the hands of God is far better than it would ever do in the hands of of man. And if you wait till you're ready to walk in the calling that God has for you, you'll never take the first step of obedience because obedience takes trust. 
trust in the wisdom of God, trust in the vision of God, trust in the hands of God, that he sees what you don't. So will you trust and give the king what he is asking for him to bring? Uh, the second call is a call uh, to worship. And oh, how fitting the song, Oh, happy day, oh, happy day, you've washed my sins away. Oh, happy day. And that song that speaks forward of the resurrection, speaks forward of the day of resurrection. Um, but we are called uh, to worship. A king is to be worshiped, and the king of all kings certainly deserves our praise and our honor. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put them and they put them on their cloaks and he sat on them and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road and the crowds went before him and followed him shouting Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest and when he entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred and who is this and the crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee. So let's first uh, talk about the crowd and what they thought. They thought that Jesus was coming to be, to deliver them, to deliver them from, to bring freedom to Israel, to bring deliverance from uh, the oppressive hand of the Roman soldiers to deliver them from the taxes of the Romans, deliver them from the rule of the Romans. But he did not come to deliver them from Roman authority. He came to deliver them from sin. Now this crowd has this idea, this mindset that the king has come, but the king has delivered us from Roman authority. They didn't even know what he was coming for, but yet they praise and they worship him. Secondly, let's talk about uh, the Roman authority. Let's talk about Pilate. I can imagine him looking out his window and saying, no way this guy has come to overthrow Rome. Pilate was, there's no chance that Pilate was afraid of the crowd. There's no chance that there was any fear in him. They had no swords. They had, they had no reason to fear a man that rode in on a donkey would overthrow the mighty Roman army that their cries of rebellion, that these were not cries of rebellion, these were cries of worship. And Pilate need not fear. And going back to the crowd, that their worship was rooted in what they thought that Jesus could do for them. And is this why that their cries of Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, so quickly become in a week's time, crucify him, crucify him. And are we not the same way? And so, so often we think that we know better than God, that we think that God, that we know what God should do, that he should act this way, that he should do this or that, or he needs to act on my timetable, or the Lord, or we give this arbitrary idea that God has a week or God has a month, or I've been praying for this thing for a couple of years, but we are on... God's timing. God knows far better than us for his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. That he loves us and he cares for us. 
And had Jesus done what the crowd wanted and just overthrown Rome and not the grip of hell and that the devil has on this world, uh, it would leave no hope for us. It would leave um, us to saving ourselves, that we would still be lost in our sins. So had Jesus done what the crowd had asked him to do, that they thought that he had came to do, we would still be lost in our sin. We would still be lost in our shame. We would still be lost in our flesh. But Christ came to set us free, and for that he is worthy of our worship. So let's talk about their worship. Because, man, did they have it right. They had it so, so right. That he was coming to save them, that he was coming to save all of humanity. And he came to set the captive free. And they did everything, right? They laid their garments out as a sign of recognition to loyalty and a promise of support. They waved palm branches to symbolize the victory that Christ would have over sin, death, and the grave, and the goodness of God and the mercy and the grace of God. And they shouted Hosanna, which simply translates to save us. It is a cry for deliverance. And they wanted deliverance from Rome, but he came to set them free from sin. And they said, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. They knew who he was. They knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. And these statements uh, from the crowd came from Psalms 118, 19 through 29. As it says, open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them. And thanks to the Lord, this is the gate of the Lord. Righteous, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and you have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray. Give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords and up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. That in this, their praise was so scriptural. It is important that we praise God how he wants to be praised. Um, I think of a pastor, uh, Francis Chan, and he said, oh, so often people come up to him and say, I didn't like worship today. And his response is, that's strange. We weren't worshiping you. We were worshiping the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he is worthy of our praise and our honor and our affection and so if God says we are to come to him with words as Hosea 14.2 says take with you the words and return to the Lord and then that is how we are to come if God says we are to come to him with song as Psalms 100 verse 2 says serve the Lord with gladness come into his presence with singing then that is how we should come and if God says we are to come to him with hands raised up to lift up your hands to the holy place, to the blessed Lord, the Psalms 134.2 says, that is how we should come. And the whole point 
and worship is to do what pleases the Lord, not what pleases us. But, but the beautiful truth is that when we please God, we find ourselves wonderfully pleased, wonderfully satisfied, wonderfully uh, filled. And they did it all right. And Christ affirms their worship in Luke 19, verse 40. And he answered when the Pharisees told them to be silent. Um, and he says, and he answered, and I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out and worship, but the rocks remained silent because the worship of the people of Israel was sufficient for the king. And I can't imagine that's such a high compliment that their worship was right, their worship was worthy, that he is so worthy of our worship that if we are to silent the very, the very rocks cry out, that, that creation groans with longing to worship the king in which created it, and we too should groan with longing to worship our creator. And I wonder who was in the crowd that day. Were there any that Jesus had healed among the crowd? Were there any that he had set free among the crowd? Were there any sick among the crowd or had a kid that was sick at home or anyone who had life that just had a hold on and yet they worshiped with a loud voice for what they had seen and they worshiped for a reason. They worshiped and praised God with reason, and we should do the same. Let us not mindlessly sing words because they're on a screen, but let us connect to them and remember all the good things that God has done for us, that we get to live in Beulah, snowy, cold Beulah, North Dakota, where we are free to worship God as we choose, that we are free, that we have food in our bellies, that we have electricity and running water, that he is our great healer, that he is our great physician, that he's done so many great things for us, that he has blessed us tremendously. And we should call these things to mind and remember them as we go in to worship. A call to worship is a call to remember the goodness and the faithfulness and the love and the mercy of God. And he is worthy of our worship and we should worship as the people of Israel did because I guarantee you there are many among that crowd that were sick that needed healing there are many among that crowd that were hurting that were broken and yet they laid all that aside and they looked at the healings they looked at the miracles they looked at the feeding of the 5,000 they looked at the raising of Lazarus they remembered him walking on water they remembered him healing the blind and raising the dead and they saw Christ in the flesh, and they worshiped him in spirit and in truth for what they had seen. The third call of the king is a call to return. And this one I wrestled with the most. This one I uh, spent the most uh, time on. And it was a strange one. Uh, but I hope you hear it. I hope it makes uh, sense. Um, in Mark 11, verse 11, he says, And he entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And this is a strange verse. And at first, I didn't get it. But Jesus, because I always thought that Jesus would just went into the temple and started flipping over 
uh, tables has started driving people out, but he goes the night before to the temple and he looks around and he, he looks around at everything. There's nothing hidden from God. And this verse is both a warning and a such a great comfort. For the sinner, your sin is not hidden from God. But for the hurting, your pain is also not hidden. For the outcast, he sees you and he wants you to come in. Uh, for the doubter, he, he sees your question and he has answers for you. For the broken and the hurting, he is the healing and he wants to heal you. He sees your sickness and he desires to heal you. God sees you and he has not looked over you and he has not forgotten you. It is both a fearful and a wonderful thing to know that we will never be outside the seeing eyes of God. In Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17, it says that Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and brought and bought in the temple. And he overturned tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, and my house shall be called a house of prayer and you will make it a den of, and you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he, had, he did and the children crying in the temple, Hosea, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to them, do you hear uh, what these are, are saying? And the Lord and Jesus said to them, yes, have, have, you, have you read out the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. Let me read that again. That was choppy. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. You Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? You see, Jesus came there with a purpose. He was not caught off guard what was going on in the temple he was not cut off guard. He saw it all yesterday, and he came uh, to change it. And when I think of the temple, I think of three temples. I think of the temple of God. I think of the church of God. I think of the body of Christ. I think of the fellowship of believers. I think of the body, our bodies, our individual bodies, as temples of the Holy Spirit, as scriptures remind us. And I think of, uh, of our own individual houses where we go to bed at night as a temple, as a, as a safe haven, as a place where we are to worship God, where we are to raise up our kids in the Word, where we are to uh, be lights to our children. That is where we are to have dominion and, and rule and reign with Christ in our own homes. So when I speak of the temple, I speak of the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers. I speak of our own individual body bodies and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and I speak of our own individual homes, we are to rule and reign with Christ as Christ has given us, given us dominion. Um, but maybe, so maybe there are some things that God wants to change in your temple. Maybe God needs to return to the throne room of your life, of the temple. Maybe he needs to overturn some tables. Maybe there needs to be some repentance. Repentance is a turning from something to God. Repentance is just the walking away from sin. 
is the walking away from sin to God. If you repent with no destination in mind, you will soon return to the sin in which you left. That repentance is the turning of our lives back to its original intended purpose. Repentance is going back to before the fall in the garden and returning to the original relationship we had with God in the garden. Repentance is a heart of of stone becoming a heart of flesh. I also think of the scripture that comes to mind that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he calls, you have made my house a den of thieves. So what has been stolen from your temple? What thieves have broken into your temple? What has been stolen? Has your peace been stolen? Has your sleep been stolen? Has your rest been stolen? Has your love been stolen? Has your prayer life been stolen? Has your relationship with God been stolen? What has been taken? What thieves do you need to drive out? Is it the thief of comparison where we compare ourselves and our callings with other people around us? Is it the thief of unforgiveness where we can't seem to let things go and we let anger uh, rule and reign in our lives? Or is it the thief of anxiety and depression where our peace has been stolen and been robbed of God where we don't sleep, we don't rest, we constantly worry, we constantly, we don't bring our anxieties, we don't bring our worries uh, to God. In 1 Corinthians 6:19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. And there is nothing belongs in the temple of God except for the Holy Spirit, except for his peace, his love, his joy, his patience, his kindness, that we would be bearing of all the fruits of the Spirit that would be operating in the gifts of the spirits. But he does not just drive out he, he also brings in and he heals. He heals the blind and the lame that came to him in the temple and he healed them. That he is our great healer. He is our prince of peace. He is our bread of life. He is our chief shepherd. He is our creator, our deliverer, our hope, the lamb of God, our protection, our redemption, our righteousness, and the king of kings. And he will sustain and fill us and he will restore all that the devil has stolen from us. Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 tells us, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And your heart will be as before the fall, and will remove, you will remove all sin and all uncleanness. That repentance is a turning away from our desires. To God's desires, that repentance is a turning from a flesh-filled life to a spirit-filled life. And as Jesus turned over tables, he returned the temple back to its intended purpose. And let us return our temples back to its intended purpose. That the body of Christ would be uh, that we would that Christ headship of the body of Christ, that he would be our authority, that he would rule and reign in our lives, that we would have the infilling of the Holy Spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit that it would be Christ that reigns in our temples, that the Holy Spirit would rule and reign.
that this, uh, Joel 2.13 says, rent your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, that he relents from sending calamity, that this is the Lord our God, that he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, that if you go to him, he will bring healing, he will bring mercy, he will bring grace, he will drive out what needs to be driven out. But that's, this is your God, the gracious and compassionate one that is slow to anger and that is abounding in love, overflowing in love. Lastly, the call is to recognize, uh, the call of the king is to recognize the times. And when Jesus in Luke uh, 19, verse 41 through 44. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would, would that you, even you, had known on this day that the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for, for the days will come when your enemies will set up a barricade upon you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you and they will not leave you, leave one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is probably one of the saddest three verses in all of Scripture. Christ is speaking over Jerusalem, and he sees the city, and he weeps over the city. He weeps over the people of God. He weeps over the people that had the old covenant, the people that had the law, the people that had the law of Moses. And he weeps over them. And I find this funny that this is also sad that in some old copies of the Bible they have removed this passage about Jesus weeping here because they thought that if Jesus was perfect he, he would not weep. But the perfection of Jesus demands that he weep at this occasion when Israel rejected the only opportunity to escape the destruction to come. That the perfect Savior, the perfect King weeps over Jerusalem and he weeps over this world and he weeps over so many people that are lost and hurting and broken and going into their, trying to find themselves, trying to find their own truth, trying to find their own way, trying to find what makes sense. And we have the way, the truth, and life. We have the bread of life. We have the answer. We have the Christ. We have the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I see Christ standing at the, at the throne room weeping over creation, weeping over our world as he did over Jerusalem, that Jesus here showed the heart of God, that how even when judgment must be pronounced, it is never done with joy, that even when God's judgment is perfectly just and righteous, his heart weeps at the bringing of judgment, that as he draws here, he just saw the city and he weeps and he cries and he's deeply moved. A moving uh, moment for Jesus that his tears were not for his own fate. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew that for the first time in, in all of history, throughout all eternity, he would be separated from the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. The cup of wrath of humanity poured out upon him. He would bear all our sin and all our iniquity. He doesn't weep here for himself. He doesn't weep for the, for the cross. He doesn't weep for the nail. He doesn't weep for the lip or the crown of thorns. He weeps over Jerusalem. And he, it's a sobbing, and he lamented over the lost opportunity. 
He lamented over a city full of people of, of God, the people that had been waiting for this day to come. The only people that knew this day was coming and they missed it. And they were waiting for it and they missed it. The cry was that of frustrated desire. By the frustration that my wife has when I can't see the ketchup in the fridge, it's right in front of me. That kind of frustration, they just didn't see it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They, they knew the law. They knew the text. They knew the day. They, they had memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And yet they missed They knew the law backwards and forward, and they missed it. And he knew, and Christ knew who he was, and he knew what he was about to do. And he knew what they were looking for, and he said, I'm here. And they missed it, and he had visited the city with the desire to deliver them from the thing of destruction. And with the offers of the things of peace. And but yet the spiritual blindness of the rulers of the people was such that they did not discern the meaning of the visitation. And the result was inevitable that there would be no escape from the destruction. He says, and I believe this, this cry, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, if only they had known, if only they had known, if only someone had told them, and they had been told, if only they could hear it, if only they could understand, if only they could comprehend that Christ in the flesh, the way for peace, the way for salvation, no more law, no more working your way to God, that we are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of our own works, that no one may boast. And I think of the rich young ruler as he boastfully says, I've kept the law since obey, but he still doesn't get it. He comes to Christ, he says, what must I do to be saved? And he, Christ tells him to keep the law, and instead of him saying, I can't do that, that I can't reach it, he says, I, I have. And then Christ says, all right, you want to Go all the way, sell all you have, and give to the poor. And he goes away sorrowful, for he had great things. But we cannot work ourselves to God. We cannot obtain grace. We cannot obtain mercy. It is only by the free gift of God that we have salvation. We cannot keep the law. And if you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make your peace, Jesus mourned over the fact that they did not know the time when Jesus is coming, the day that was prophesied by Daniel. And I know they knew this verse by, by heart. And that this is your day was so important because it was likely the day prophesied by Daniel that the Messiah, the Prince, would come to Jerusalem. And Daniel said that it would be 483 years on the day of the Jewish calendar for the day of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and to the day the Messiah would come to Jerusalem and by the reckoning of Sir Robert Anderson it was fulfilled 483 years to the day and this is the day mentioned in Psalms 118 this is the day the Lord has made we will rejoice and be glad in it that it was foretold 483 Years ago today, that Daniel said, 483 days, years from now, to the day Christ will come, and they missed it. Just like getting the answer key to the test and still getting all the, all the answers wrong. That they 
didn't know. They said, surely it's not him. They said, surely this can't be the Messiah. He came in on a colt. They were expecting something else. They expected the right, the white horse. They expected the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to come as the king of kings and Lord of lords. But he comes as a humble servant. He comes as the prince of peace. He comes to bring peace and restore relationships. He comes to bring righteousness that we might receive the righteousness of Christ laid upon him. So today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to return. And don't miss it. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. That we are only saved by grace through faith. And this is not our own works that no one may boast. Do not wait. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't miss, like the people of Jerusalem that missed it. Don't miss the king's call. So if you're holding something back from God and you don't think it's quite ready, I encourage you to bring it and lay it at the king's feet. Give it into the hands of God and he will do far more. He'll take your five loaves and your two fish and he'll multiply it and he'll feed 5,000. If you just want to come up here and worship him as he deserves to be worshipped, these altars are open. If you need to return to God and repent, or you need to drive some things out of your home, these altars are open. Or if for the first time you're recognized who Jesus is, and he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that the day of peace has come, these altars are open. So as the song plays, I'm going to pray, but I encourage you to come and lay down when it needs to be laid down and take these palm branches. Um, you can leave them here as a sign of surrender. You can take them with, them as, with you as a sign of worship. Uh, but Mama Jay requested that they be gone. So uh, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for that you are the King of Kings, that you are the Lord of Lords, that you are worthy of our worship, you are worthy of our lives, you are worthy of our gifts, our talents, our abilities, Lord Jesus. Lord, if there's, if there's anything that's hindering us, if there's anything in our temple that does not belong to, does not help you, Lord, I pray that today will be the day that it is driven out. And Lord, we pray uh, that for that eyes would be open, they would see you, the people would see you for who. You are, the, you are the bread of life, that you are the word of truth, Lord Jesus, that you are the grace and mercy and life, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Lord Jesus, you are the salvation that so many are looking for. And let us leave from here with the gospel, Lord, bold enough to share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father God, we, we bring many things to you today that are on our hearts and that are on our minds. And the message that you gave Logan today with all the different things that we're called to do to worship and praise you and, and to think about the return and, and return to the temple and what we need to do, Father God. Help us to look into our lives each and every day as we go through this week and prepare for the, the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, that you made on, on that Good Friday day to give up your life, your Father's will to save us for the sinners and the, and the lost of this earth. Lord, just help us to have a heart of appreciation this week to thank you, Jesus, for that blood that was applied to our life. And then let's remember Sunday, we're going to celebrate that victory, that victory over death when you come out of that grave. Father God, we pray in your son, Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed.
Thanks for coming, everybody. Have a good week.